Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? No time for that. I know. Let's get going. Yeah. We got a sponsor. Uh, we, uh, we yes. We got a couple of them. Okay. Actually, here's what I'm going to take my time to do. Okay. Do you want me to just speed through the other one then? Uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a couple of things. Fair enough. I'm going to mention that uh, you can go to tweakedaudio.com to get professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at a, at a low, low price. And if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get that for one third off minus the, and no shipping charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we stand by their product. Uh, the, they're fantastic earbuds. David, professional quality. They're not lying when they say it. David, a listener recently tweeted. That's right. That, you know, he'd been dragging his feet on these tweaked earbuds for yeah. forever and then finally bought him and said, what was wrong with me for all those years? Yeah. So don't be like this dipshit. Yeah. <laughs> it tweeted us. Yeah. Uh, get in the loop, assholes. <laughs> all right. Tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Um, and I mentioned, I'm going to mention a couple of other things. We have a sponsorship. Also, mm-hmm. we have failed to really promote the fact that we have another premium episode. Yeah. It's a movie geek premium episode where we spend... I can't remember how long. Two hours and 50 minutes. Nearly three hours talking about uh, the year in film 2007, which was the year this podcast started, and also, coincidentally or not, one of the best film years in the last decade or so certainly uh, so for a mere dollar 29 you can have nearly three hours of movie geeks geeking out about the year 2007 you can also uh find our first you can get our first 40 episodes which are not in the feed because we are embarrassed of them but we will relinquish our embarrassment for a mere ten dollars a pop exactly. so you can uh uh, buy those for $10 each. Tyler will email them to you. Our previous premium episode is still available the, mm-hmm. with uh, comedian Bill Dwyer. And also, if you have all that stuff and you still want to support us, um, you can just uh, go. You can just uh, sign up for a donation one time or a subscription donation. And the reason I'm mentioning all of these things at once right now, which we usually don't do. We usually don't slather on this begging. Mm-hmm. But it's getting to be Comic-Con time. Yeah. And uh, I'm also I'm planning a wedding that is very expensive and time-consuming. Uh, and so, uh, we are looking for some help this year, Mm -hmm. um, to, to make Comic-Con as fun as it can be and as, uh, productive in terms of producing content and insight, uh, for you, the listener from Comic-Con, uh, with a little bit of a break on the wall. Yeah, and cheap. We want it to be cheap too for us. Yeah, we want it to be a little easier for us because, uh, a lot lot of money going out, uh, from, at least from the backs, uh, uh, checking account Compound? this year yeah um so let me tell you about our sponsor keep your finger on that so it doesn't close okay um <laughs> that's what she said uh, uh this episode is brought to you, you so much <laughs> this I episode so is much. brought to you by the double feature podcast the show that talks about two movies each week comparing and contrasting them this week the topic of is i'm sorry this week the topic is convention defying movies for the internet age john dies at the end starring friend of the show uh, doug jones mm-hmm. and the man with the iron fists not starring doug jones are the films discussed as well as franz kafka the roundabout path to plot resolution and how looking for plot holes can ruin a movie to listen to this episode just go to doublefeatureshow.com or click on the skyscraper ad on the right hand side of the screen at battleshippretension.com it's so, two, it's 200 by 200 i have a hard time calling it a skyscraper oh yeah i guess it is yeah. it's just a box ad yeah. um so definitely check out double feature show and all that other stuff again sorry for bombarding you the listener with all this stuff but uh there's a couple, we have Comic-Con coming up, and also we had recorded this premium episode and done very little to promote the fact that it exists. I appreciate so, that you guys are buying it. Yeah, people have been uh, buying it. They but, seem to find it in spite of us, <laughs> Yeah, which is a real achievement. So we got all that out of the way, out of the way in under four minutes. Mm-hmm. Why don't you 
uh, bring on our guest. All right, I'm, I'm happy to do so. So uh, I'm a big fan of uh, comedian and actor and uh, various other things, uh, Andy Daly. And when I saw that he had a podcast called The Andy Daly Podcast Pilot Project, something like that, um, I was like, oh boy, character stuff, that's fun. And, uh, and I saw that he uh, co-hosted it with a guy whose name I, I had heard but I didn't know much about. Little did I know I had seen him vomit on, uh, on Drunk History previously, so that was exciting. Um, so, quick side note. So we've seen – I've seen two of our guests vomit. Johnny Pemberton on his MTV show, the name of which I forget, and then our guest today. Uh-huh. It's, it's a surprise. I haven't even seen you vomit. I used to live with you. Yeah, I, I tend to <laughs> – I'm like, uh, my vomiting is like when an elephant dies. Like, I go off yeah. somewhere. I don't like other people to see me. It's okay if they know that I'm vomiting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't want people to see me. Yeah, it's which is weird because anybody who listens to, I believe, episode 13 uh, will know that uh, vomiting is one of your favorite things in the world as a not, concept. Not to do. Yeah, as a concept. Yeah, maybe because if you buy the first 40, you will hear me opine about why I find the act of booting so <laughs> transfixing oh my uh and so it, it's a, it's a fascinating thing that the body does yeah it's i mean it's a, it's an amount of force that you don't use ever for anything else and then all of a sudden it happens completely out of your control sneezing uh, is pretty i mean that's 100 miles an hour i guess yeah but i sneeze constantly so i guess fair the, enough yes <laughs> i know i can i can hear yeah, it from across the city <laughs> um okay that's neither here nor there so anyway so i started listening to andy daly's uh podcast and then i had also and i loved it i thought it was great and uh and i thought uh i thought well this other guy named matt gorley who's here with us now that's not an introduction that's the bad um the uh <laughs> he, he uh I really enjoyed what he was doing, and then I I knew that he was on Super Ego, which I hadn't listened to. I listened to that, loved it, thought it was great, uh, and I thought, we've got to get this guy on the show. We have way too many stand-ups, not enough improvisers. I have a, I have a tremendous amount of respect for anybody that can improvise successfully. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so I, I asked him to be on, and he was, uh, he was kind enough to accept our invitation. So here he is, Matt Gorley. Matt, how you doing? Hi, I'm very well. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> and I have to say, they greet you here with a 24-ounce Miller High Life. Yeah, that's... Ready to go. That's the standard. Yeah, yeah listeners already know that David has his. He won't record without it. But I don't, think every, I don't think everybody knows that you extend one to the guest as well. Yes, yeah. but it's not true. It's not that I won't record without it. Because I don't... When we you, did the, you can't record without it. When I did the ep- our last episode, I didn't have one. I'll tell you why. Because we recorded earlier in the week. <laughs> we record on Thursday nights, and you think I bring a beer because it's the podcast time. No, this is my weekend starting. This okay. is me getting a jump oh, really? on the weekend. Yeah. That's why I have a beer on Thursday nights. I see. Starting to take the edge <laughs> off it would be. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, but yes, Matt, thank you for being here. Yeah. And we will get to know you a little bit more in a moment. Okay. But first things first. Yes. We want to start off with sad. Why wouldn't we start off? Uh, a, a new relationship with a guest with remarkably sad news. Um, so, uh, David, the other day I woke up to uh, something that really, really bummed me out, and that was uh, the the announcement that actor Bob Hoskins had passed away yeah. uh, at uh, a fairly early age, 71. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he had retired from acting, so he wasn't really putting out any new work, but as I looked over his filmography, I realized that I'd seen, I've seen a lot of his more notable performances and realized he is an actor that I really loved mm-hmm. like from an early age too. Cause of course I saw who framed Roger rabbit and I saw hook. And then as I got older, I saw other things. Oh, and super Mario brothers, of yeah. course. Uh, and, uh, and as I got older, I watched some of his, some of his earlier work and, 
and he's just a guy who really committed to everything he ever did. And so, uh, so I just wanted to take a, a moment and talk about maybe some of our better, well, so some did of our you favorite talk about performances. This with, with, with Matt, did you clear this with Matt? With I, guess? I did. Okay, I did. Well, and, Matt, what uh, are your thoughts on Bob Hoskins? <laughs> <laughs> I really like Bob Hoskins. I, I am strangely not that well versed with his movies, and I'm a huge film buff. And I just mm-hmm. think circumstantially, I haven't seen a lot of them, but. Of course, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I remember that movie being associated with my first lie to my mother because <laughs> I had just gotten a VCR and I was starting to dub every movie I rented <laughs> to have my own collection, and uh-huh. she was very aware of the um, copyright protection thing at the beginning of every tape saying, you know, you can't do that, it's against the law, and I just flat out lied and got busted, <laughs> so I associate Bob Hoskins with tremendous guilt, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but other than that, I, I'm sad to hear that he passed. How did he die? I wasn't even sure. Pneumonia. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know how... It's, I don't mean to be a jerk, but I don't know how one gets pneumonia these days. I had pneumonia. I, I had I had, bron- I had bronchitis oh. with just like a touch of pneumonia. Really? But usually people, like yeah. doctors, pick up on right, that. Right, right, yeah. But so. I think with with elderly people, it's more common. Though I guess 71 so. isn't yeah. exactly elderly. That's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, it really it really bummed me out. And and you mentioned that you had seen Hook, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then Hook. Like that was kind of the one two punch of stuff that I knew him from. The Hoskins t- two punch, yeah, Ex- yeah, the right. Hoskins one two. Um, and he's one thing that I've come to realize that he is a very, he was he was a very imposing force on screen. Like there's a reason that in a movie that's not very good called Enemy at the Gates, he played Nikita Khrushchev. Oh, of course, that, I, I know that movie very yeah. well for some reason. <laughs> Uh, just a World War II movie in general doesn't yeah. get past me usually. And okay. I forgot really? that he's Khrushchev in that. Completely and he's wonderful. Yes. I love him. That's right. But like, he, and there's and like, if you watch the Long Good Friday, and just like he just plays like these very imposing guys. And so for him to play, you know, comic relief lackey Smee to Dustin Hoffman's yeah. Hook, well, without and and being diminutive in the way that he plays the character, I thought like. Wow, he can shed this if he needs to, which I thought was interesting. I feel like there was, and it's not even in the chronology of his career, just the chronology of how I discovered as I went deeper into becoming a film buff. There was a Bob Hoskins for every sort of age of my being a film buff because mm-hmm. there's like Hook and Who Framed Roger Rabbit when I was younger. And as I got into high school and started looking for uh, more cult fare, he's in Brazil, you know. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. Well, you know what? I've seen more Hoskins movie than I think I know. <laughs> and also when I started – you know, when I when I got my when I got a driver's license when I was um, sixteen, nearly seventeen, because I had bad grades, my parents wouldn't let me get a hey, driver's license until until I got my grades up. Um, I so, didn't get my grades up, and my parents was like, "Well, look, we don't want to keep driving them around <laughs> everywhere, so here, just go ahead and take it." So, but that was when I started going to the movies alone a lot because I often couldn't find people to go see the movies I wanted to see, and I saw an Adam McGowan film called Felicia's Journey, which, which is a fantastic. And strange uh, movie. I don't know if you've seen Felicia's Journey. Um, And then I think it was when I moved in with you in college that I saw Mona Lisa because you had it on VHS. Yeah, which is Uh, a a wonderful film that he was uh, nominated for Best Actor for in 1986. I remember that Academy Awards. And I've still never seen that movie, but I remember that. I always remember being shocked even as a child what unlikely casting he was for the hero of who framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. just atypical and loving that, that he was just mm-hmm. this kind of short, burly, still a man's man, and he gets a attractive lady, and yeah. Yeah, it was kind of nice. It is very unconventional, because yeah. everything about that movie is meant to 
be like the essence. Like right. he's supposed to be the essence of this ter- certain type of private eye. And there are any number, like they could have ca- cast like a William Hurt yeah, or wonder, something wonder like that. what the story behind that is. You know, yeah. like who? Zemeckis, right? Yeah. 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 yeah is he, I, mean, he's, I feel like he must have spoken about that. I, is yeah, there, I know Hollywood lore about other actors that were up for that. Like there must be, there probably is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> this is a weird thing to maybe say. Maybe he filmed three weeks with Eric Stoltz and in fact and replaced him with Hoskins. <laughs> I was going to say maybe there is a you know people wanted to ride that Hoskins wave after his <laughs> nomination for Mona Lisa. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I bet that probably had something. Maybe but it's I, only two years before casting I, couch too. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Speaking of him talking about his roles, I don't know if you've ever heard read about how vocal he was about how awful the experience of making the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, I think that's just implied. <laughs> yeah, but not just like the movie being bad. I don't know if the movie was bad. I never saw it. I haven't either. Um, but he did not have a good time making it and was and had no bones about it. And that. Uh, that's the thing I liked about Bob Hoskins. It seemed like I never got the feeling of him being careerist in any way. Like it just seemed yeah. like I, it's hard to imagine Bob Hoskins auditioning for anything. It just seemed like right. he was just like, here I am. I'm Bob Hoskins. And people just found ways to use him and in all different sorts of ways. His last role was in, in Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh yeah. That's which, right. Um, which you is know, a movie that I've I, seen a bunch of Bob <laughs> that I actually really appreciate. I, I know a lot of people don't, too. but I've only seen like three quarters of it, but I got drawn into it. Yeah. It's really yeah. beautiful to look at. Yeah. And, and he's uh, not like a perennial actor that shows up every twice a year or whatever. You right. Know? right. Like, yeah. You would just see him in these projects that he clearly wanted to do. Yeah. I tell you what movie I loved him in. And I mean, like, obviously, Mona Lisa is wonderful. The Long Good Friday is a, a great performance. It's the one that kind of put him on the map. But um, and then I'm a big fan of a movie called Last Orders, which is just a wonderful bring cast up. all around. That um, was, a, yeah, a, another one from our t- It came out, I think, at the time that we lived while we were in college. Yeah. And we both discovered together and were big fans of. Yeah. Although and as much as I like him, I think Ray Winstone is the real uh, gem in that film. But anyway, um, the movie Unleashed. With Jet Li, mm, uh, otherwise awesome. known as Danny the Dog, yeah. in which uh, Hoskins plays just the the worst kind of British gangster who literally keeps Jet Li as like a dog that he, you know, I was going to say unleashes on people to attack them and kill them and stuff. Oh, wow. It's a ridiculous movie in every sense of the word. <laughs> uh-huh. Um but he's so wonderful <laughs> because he just, he knows like, okay, it's like, okay, so my character keeps a small Asian man... <laughs> As his pet, I think I got it. I think I can. I think I know how to play this, which is as big as it could possibly go. But uh, but yeah, and so he, and that's the thing. And I, as I was looking through the filmography, I was like, oh, I haven't seen Felicia's Journey, which I remember you spoke so highly of. Yeah. Um, and so he's just he's a he's an actor who certainly kind of defined my childhood. I remember when I heard that he had been cast as Mario. I was like, that's perfect. I was 10, so what do I know? <laughs> yeah. But I was like, oh, that, he, that's great, because he's the guy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. How exciting. And then I saw the movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, never mind. Um, so even at that age, you knew the movie was bad? Uh, it, well, I, I, would, I don't know if I would go as far as say it was bad, but it was like, this is a weird movie. Like, it's really what depressing. Like, 90, 92, 93, I think. Really? So um, That late? Wow. Yeah. And it, But I was very excited about it, and then, like, it's just this weird dystopian thing it's oh, that'd be worth, 93 worth checking out it, it kind yeah. of is yeah. two years later he would play j edgar hoover in nixon oh yes good god i've seen almost every <laughs> <Austin's> movie. <laughs> that's right oh and he's great well, in that's that. that's saying something about him in a way that 
he yeah. he melts into those parts, and I don't come away going Bob Hoskins, Bob Hoskins. You know, he's an actor, not a movie star. Yeah, and that that really does say something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I and mean, um, that he because he, he could be uh, a very you, you know he's playing J Edgar Hoover, he's playing even the I can't remember his name in Hoover and Roger Rabbit, but he's a very sort of imposing Eddie Valiant. Eddie Valiant. <laughs> he's very imposing screen presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you watch him in Brazil, he's one of the like sort of bumbling henchmen. Yeah. He's it's a it's a bit part that he 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 goes out of his way to be less than imposing. Again, mm-hmm. he's supposed to be kind of a joke, and then he becomes kind of menacing uh, in the way that a dumb bureaucrat can. <laughs> But that's that's the point of the movie, not the point of Bob Hoskins' career. Anyway, uh, that's what yeah. I wanted to say. So, uh, so we've thrown out a lot of titles. So, listeners, if you haven't seen any of these, uh, I highly recommend them. Uh, even again, even movies like Enemy at the Gates, which is not that great of a movie, but he's wonderful in it. I I, I love it, and so um, so yeah, uh, it's it's we're sad that he died, but he did leave uh, quite a quite a solid body of work uh, behind. So, all right. Now that we got that out of the way, I hate to be so callous as to use that phrase. Let's get to know our guest a little bit. <laughs> Finally, yeah, I've so, been dying to get to know. The know who is this here. man? <laughs> yeah. So, who is this man who has uh, grossly underestimated the number of Bob Hoskins movies he's seen? Um, but uh, <laughs> most people, have. he's humble. He's a he's a humble guy. I can tell. Um, so, Matt, uh, you know, I'll 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 steal David's question. Where are you from? Where do you That's hail what from I was originally? I've, I hail not far from here. From okay, Whittier, California. Uh, which is just home of Richard Nixon. Yes. Yeah. Well, in drunk history, one of my stories I did was uh, Watergate. And part of the reason of that is because I grew up in Nixon's hometown. Mm -hmm. The theater that he did one play in where he met Pat Nixon, his wife was the theater that I did high school theater. And and, uh, I'm trying to, my family was very conservative when I was growing up. So I had these weird ties to, to Nixon. And so uh, his little cottage, not where he was born in Yorba Linda, but where he lived uh, was couple blocks from where i lived in whittier Hmm. and so yeah it's at the east end of of la county about probably about an hour and 15 minutes from here Hmm. yeah and so uh okay so you already mentioned that you started doing theater and stuff when you were younger uh and i know that like you would you say that at this point you like characterize yourself as like i'm an improviser that's what i do or do you think of yourself as an actor in general no i mean i do acting Mm -hmm. but i i also work pretty regularly as a teacher i teach at uh three colleges like part-time at teaching acting and improv and then i work a lot obviously as an improviser and uh god and you know i don't i don't know i've never known how to classify myself other than i think i try to keep my feet in a couple places so Mm -hmm. i don't get burned out you know Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I have a qu- pretty quick burnout fuse, <laughs> and so I try to keep it diversified. The um, so okay, so you you started getting into acting, at least theater acting, when you were when you were young. What ness, what prompted that? Like, did you enjoy watching movies when you were younger? Yeah. And you said, "I have to do this," or or what? I had a really active imagination, and like putting on stunt shows in the backyard for the neighborhood and stuff. I was big into stunt shows for some reason. Like the stunt shows at Knott's Berry Farm oh, and yeah. Universal Studios were everything to me. Yeah. And to me, if I grew up and was just a stuntman at, at the Universal Studios Wild West stunt show, I had made it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I still have yet to achieve that dream. Uh, <laughs> but I did work at Disney for years doing improv comedy and then at one point did a gunfight there, oh. which was in some unironic way like this is, I felt like I had, 
check something off the bucket list. Uh, just when you're, you know, it was that and solving Dragon's Lair, the video game, when I was an adult that really like, oh my God, I'm, I might die because I'm done with my things. You know? my, uh, I was also in the drama club. My drama teacher had done, I guess, in some sort of community theater elsewhere in the St. Louis area, that's where I'm from, uh, knew one of the guys who was like one of the lead stunt guys for the Robin Hood stunt show at Six Flags in St. Louis. Oh, wow. I didn't and he know came in a couple times to oh. my drama club and taught us like stunt sword fighting yeah. and like fighting with like Stage a long like a, a what you, like a like a like a staff yeah, <laughs> yeah. staff fighting it was, was one school. of the best days oh it's the best yeah <laughs> yeah like robin hood like yeah. uh fight, uh, fighting on the Duck, bridge Dodge, or whatever Perry. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um so what were some of the uh what were some of the productions you did in in school well my first play ever was a classic film the lion in winter Oh, who were you? I was John. All right. I, I played uh, King Henry. Oh, you're kidding. Yes. Oh, my God. Wow. So we rented <laughs> so, costumes. All right, you guys run we're, we're, lines. <laughs> you, I'm sure you remember all the lines. I got my monologue down. <laughs> yeah. God, that was a long time ago. I, so that character I played was supposed to be all spotty and zitty. Mm. And I got chicken pox a couple weeks before. <clears throat> and I was out until the week before the show. Oh, I, I jumped back in, but I had all the like zit marks from oh, chicken man. pox. It worked perfectly. The, um, the local critic was raving was, about the he makeup. Was floored when he wasn't uh, <laughs> lambasting me for my overuse of props and stealing yeah. focus <laughs> and eating an apple uh, on stage while other people are talking and stealing the focus. Um, what is the point of the John character if not to steal focus? Come I on, think, he's, he's an yeah, idiot. He's comic relief. Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, I, I did uh, in theater. Um, sorry to keep interrupting no, my own theater stories, but. Um, I, I was what not, are theater stories if not to interrupt people? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, what, I was what not, is theater if not to interrupt and say, "No, look at me!" Exactly, life for fiction. But uh, I was uh, I, I was more of a tech guy or uh, and a stage manager in my uh, high school drama club. But we did one, at one point we did a night of one acts my junior year of high school, and one of the actors got kicked out. He it was a school rule. He had done something else where they. He was suspended and couldn't do any after-school activities, so he had to be kicked out of the play. It was uh. upsetting for all of us. So I ended up taking over this role as the father in um, Anton Chekhov's one-act uh, A Marriage Proposal. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know that. that it's a farce. Okay. Um, and I had a mohawk at the time. What? And so I played this sort of like, uh, I guess, like early 20th, like late 19th century uh, Russian father by... Combing my, splitting my mohawk in half and just plastering it down onto I the top of my head worked, to make though. it sort of look like a short haircut. It looked okay. It I looked it okay. Did, because like when I think of, well, even like like the Marx Brothers father, Frenchie, had one of those where their heads based, shaved so close on the side. And yeah, then, and then mm, hair on top. That's essentially top. what I, how I played Chekhov. That's amazing. That's <laughs> hilarious. When we did that play, Line in Winter, because we were in Whittier, we rented our costumes from the Paramount movies. Oh, did right. you call it the Line in Whittier? We should have. God damn it. The theater we did it in was the Nix, the community oh, theater boy. in Whittier where Nixon did his show. But we, um, they, he, my teacher just came back with all the costumes from the uh, Peter O'Toole, Catherine Hepburn <laughs> movie. So wow. I had, I can't remember the guy's name that played John, but he was Arthur in Excalibur. What's his name? Oh, shoot. Oh. Something Terry? He always reminds me of Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> they have some kind of like similar essence. Is it John Terry? It might be. We're going to find out yeah. okay. real quick. So Terry that's George? Peter no, that's... Nigel okay. Terry. Nigel Terry. Is Peter that right? O'Toole is Henry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Catherine Hepburn, 
Oh, Andrew my, Terry. oh my God. Looks, looks much good. more dashing now. Wow, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Timothy Dalton, mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins, Nigel Terry. Is that his name? Yeah. That that's a crazy cast, and we were just wearing yeah. their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean I mean in in no what is the, whatever the opposite of doing something justice was is what we were doing in those clothes. I mean we were just soiling them with our acting. It was horrible. just getting apple pieces all over it. <laughs> It was amazing. <laughs> wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, so what, el- uh, what else uh, did you do? And then, and I guess we'll transition to, like, did you go to college? Yes. And uh, did you do any of this stuff uh, in college yeah, as well? Yeah, well, actually, I uh, got involved with something called comedy sports in high school, which mm. is a competitive team improvisation. It was actually the second year they had done it, and so I got... In w- at which college? Uh, this was in high school still. Oh, oh high school. Oh, okay. yeah. And so I got my school involved in that, and I had this wonderfully lazy theater teacher who would just go, "Oh, Matt, just run some of those games today," and he'd sit back and <laughs> like every day eat peanuts out of a little bag. It was weird, <laughs> not shelled peanuts, just little nuts and apple juice. It was strange, <laughs> but he was wonderful. And uh, then we did really well and won that championship for comedy sports that year. And then I went to college and then the, the guy who ran the professional show on comedy sports in Hollywood called me and said, cause I was really tiny in high school. And he said, Hey, have you grown? Do you look at all like a man? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I've grown about a foot. I did in a year. <laughs> and so then I ended up on the, the show, the Hollywood show version of that and did that for years. And, and that's where kind of established my friendships and stuff. And then the guys that I do super ego with came through that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I did theater and stuff in college and grad school and, uh, and then various acting and things like that. But that's the short story. Yeah. Now I want to, we'll, we'll do, you know, we'll give you time to plug things again at the end, but w- uh, explain to the listener about super ego and what it is. So super ego is a podcast in that it comes in podcast form, but it's not a typical podcast. Like a like, like this like, bullshit one here. Yeah, this yeah. this thing that I am slumming. <laughs> uh, it's an improvised character comedy podcast where we just improvise characters with like um just heavy egos or personality disorders, and uh, they're not like it's comedy, but it's not really premise based or topical. It's just character stuff. And then we present it like it's like a psychological thing of here are these people with problems and you, these are case studies. Mm-hmm. And so we improvise it at Mike's and then I edit it down to be tighter and more produced. And so it's more like an absurdist old timey theater radio type of thing, even though it's not set in the past. Uh, and then so we've been doing that since 2006 with big breaks in between because it takes so much work. We do it in like seasons. And we're just about to start up the fourth season right now. And, uh, I recently, um, yeah, because it's only, it's only somewhat recently that I started listening and, uh, and unfortunately I listened to so many in a row that I'm like, I don't even know what episode this one was on. Yeah, or I don't either. So don't um, worry. <laughs> but the one that got me so much so that like, I, I told my wife, you need to listen to this because it couldn't be more, uh, hmm, is that going to be insulting? Whatever. It couldn't be more our mothers. <laughs> I knew and it was, I knew you were heading to it. And it was yeah. uh I don't remember the name of the of, Vinny of the Sue Williamson, is it that the one with the mother in the car? Yeah. Yeah. That's Oh my gosh. That's Jeremy, who's my partner. We started this thing together and he's mm-hmm. he he's that's his mother. It's crazy. It's I can't. I mean, as I as I listened to it, I was like, "Oh, like there's a a part where she is on the phone and Wait, everyone and does she other want to people, touch base? 
th- that is a thing that my mom would often say. <laughs> That's um, for the, yeah. For, we mentioned on the podcast before, but when Tyler and I lived together, we and this is before we had cell phones, the early two thousands. We had a phone, a phone, and an answering machine. Every time Tyler's mom would leave a message, she'd say, "Hey, Tyler, I just wanted to touch base." That's how yeah. every message started. Yeah, you would think like, <laughs> "Did you ever have an actual reason to call?" No. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch base. But uh, but the part where uh, the the woman is on the phone, and then other people are like, "Oh, you need to turn here," and she and the other one's like, "No, no, you're going to miss the exit." She goes, "I can't have four people talking to me." Yeah. I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's frighteningly real." Yeah, it's, it's I, astonishing. Uh, yeah. Like I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't, that's the thing, to the point where uh, my wife has still not listened to it and I feel like it might stress her out. I understand. <laughs> to, it stresses me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. We did one thing where we had both of our mothers come in and having recorded a sketch already, transcribed it and then had them both do the sketch <laughs> as, as written and there was a crack up and his mom is... Well, both of our parents are probably pretty conservative, so they wouldn't say certain things, and we just let them deal with it how they would. So. It's just, yeah, it's a it's a show that I really enjoy, and so um, well done. Thank it is, you. It is very, it is especially very well produced. I'm not Thank surprised you. that you need to take breaks. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I mean, the reason that we've kept this going for seven years is because we don't edit anything out. Only oh, that boy. one thing where I said the name of somebody who mistreated me when I worked at Blockbuster, and that person was later on the show. Really? Um, and did they hear it? We took no, no, we out. took it out. Oh, we took his because, name out. Yeah, we took it out beforehand. I have a story like that where I once wrote something about the actor Robert Davi. Oh, uh, no. And uh, he found it and confronted me online about it. Oh, no. And long story short, because I had had an incident with him where he was just kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. And so I had written about it, but in a joking way. I wasn't sour grapes. It was a long time ago. Yeah. I don't know if he Google searches his name or whatever, but he found that and uh, emailed me and I went, Hey, listen, I'm sorry, but you were kind of a dick, but let's go to dinner. Let me take you to dinner and mm-hmm. water under the bridge. Sure enough, we went to dinner four hours later. We're like fast friends. Oh, wow. He's out there, though, and it was crazy, and I was petrified. He's That's an awesome. imposing. Yeah. He's very, yeah. Unpredictable figure, that man. I saw the Goonies. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And I'm a huge James Bond fan, and he's a Bond villain, so mm-hmm. that was like another feather in my cap to get him to go to dinner with me. Can I, I ask, I, where did you go to dinner? Well... <clears throat> I suggested Little Doms because I already had this feeling it was going to be a Salazzo-like thing from The Godfather where <laughs> someone was going to die at least. And I wanted it to feel like this like personal little Italian <laughs> joint, you know. And uh, But he he didn't know that. I was surprised. And he's I think he's more on this side of town. So we went to his joint, not his that he owns, but where he's a regular, which is this fancy Italian restaurant in Beverly Hills. And everybody knew him there. And he was like a half hour late. And I was just like <laughs> trembling. But by the end, I mean, he was a gentleman. I meant to take him, and when I went to the restroom, he had paid for it, and hmm. yeah, so I, That's nice. I recant That's what I said about him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this guy, and I don't think we've ever actually specified it was a guy, uh, but, uh, yeah, this guy was just a little dismissive, and uh-huh. uh, but then when he was on the show... Couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been nicer. Super really? nice. Yeah. Will, so. will you tell me off the air? Absolutely. Sure. If you, okay. I think you almost certainly know him. There is no question in the world that you know him. <laughs> so, uh, oh, so he's an actor that came into your work and then was on the show? When, or you when, worked when with him? When Tyler first moved here, he worked at Blockbuster. Yeah, and, this and guy he, was, he was a customer. So oh. and, uh, and yeah, and then um, years later... Uh, David invited him to be on the show knowing that like, all right, well, we're in the clear because we took his name out when I told that story. Because at that point that you told the story, we hadn't had him on the show, but we'd had people on the show who were in his circle. So yeah. we knew like, let's not. Better so when you had safe. him on the show, it wasn't anything you could 
like we, jokingly say, no, like, no, no. Hey, I ran nope. into you one time. You were kind of a no. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So <laughs> I want to know who this is right now. <laughs> this um, um, write it on a piece of paper. He also, I also had an. Oh, that's right. You did. Like, and this guy's making the rounds. Maybe I have too. Was it Robert Davi? <laughs> it was Robert Davi. Yes. I, no, I also had an incident with the same guy, but that one was my fault. Like mm-hmm. he yelled at this, this person yelled at me and I told this story. So people really, people who really pay attention to the podcast might be able to figure ah, out who it is. Cause oh, I told wow. the story when he was on about him yelling at me, uh, but I deserved it. So that's a different thing. Um, I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting in traffic and completely blocking an, blocking an intersection and he was trying to make a turn and, <sighs> rolled down his window and yelled at me and i wanted to be like hey you're so-and-so but instead i just said sorry and scooted forward (laughs) um anyway don't let me forget to ask you yeah yeah um now uh i want to get you mentioned being a big movie buff so i want to get into movies we've been talking for a while um uh, you know and (laughs) it reminded me you just you told the story about going to dinner with robert robert davi and you told the whole story, and I was listening to the whole story, but I knew as soon as, as, soon as he stops talking, I'm going to ask him what restaurant they, they went to. And I have the same thing with movies. Like, someone could tell me uh, my grandma got hit by a car and died on the way home from the movie theater. Oh. The first po- – I, I have enough tact not to say it out loud. Wait, is that the, true? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm saying someone could tell me that. Oh, yes. Um, I, the first you question that would pop into my mind was, what movie yeah. did you see? Here's the horrible thing. I cannot remember what the name of the restaurant was. Oh, man. <laughs> but uh, I'm saying, but I, I, this is my way of transitioning into being a huge movie geek. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, that's the thing. I have the same thought because, you know, for example, okay, well, listeners know that, uh, that um, you know, my father passed away many, uh, several years ago. And so, and I'm, I can't. I was thinking about this the other day. The last movie, because my, my dad was a big fan of movies. The last movie he ever saw, the last movie we saw together, but I think it was the last one he ever saw, was Big Trouble. With oh. Tim Allen, based on the, yeah. Oh. It's, not that, it's not a terrible movie, but it's yeah. not that good. It's just but, like, man, yeah. what, a, what a movie to go you know, out my, on. Um, yeah. That's my, a bummer. My grandpa, he, um, he was semi-retired. He would still work a little bit, you know, just to be busy. And then he would just, like, leave early and sometimes go to, the, go to a matinee because mm-hmm. he liked... My grandma was, you know, she was still alive, but she liked older movies. I think my grandpa liked to go see newer stuff as well as older stuff. And um, after he he died, I uh, my grandma gave me some of his clothes, uh, and I had this trench coat that was my favorite for all through high school. But the first time I put it on, I reached into the pocket and found a ticket stub for four four weddings and a funeral, oh, like nice. two days awesome. before he went into the hospital. Oh it was the last movie he saw. That's wow, a good movie too. That's a great movie. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. So, so any so, sad stories about movies? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I'm sure. Can we can go back to the premature death of Bob, Bob Hoskins to lighten the mood, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, okay, yeah. So sorry about that. That that turned out to be uh, sadder than expected. Yeah, but, but okay. How did you get into movies, and uh, what are some of your favorites? Okay, so uh, we were one of the early households for some reason to have select TV, which mm-hmm. is an early cable um, premium movie channel that just you know it was a like wood grain for like a box on top of your TV, and it just showed what it showed. You didn't get to flip around channels or anything. Mm-hmm. They were just running whatever movie followed by another. And I must have been, I don't know, what year did Halloween come out? 78. 78. Okay, so it would have been on select TV probably 79 or 80 or something mm-hmm. like that. So uh, I was probably four or five, and my, my our babysitter turned out the lights and made us watch Halloween. <laughs> oh. 
My sister was older and she was digging it and it scarred me for life. I, to this day, do not sleep through the night. I'm consciously not afraid of Michael Myers anymore, but I am petrified somewhere down deep of that music and that movie. Oh, yeah. It really freaked me out, but I'm also morbidly fascinated by that movie and even like the horrible sequels and all that stuff and going to South Pasadena where the Myers house is, it's now like a chiropractic's office and it looks like it's all Disney-fied and it's been moved down the block near like the train tracks where all this little business section is. It's a quaint little part of town. And uh, that was like one of the first big, it was that I saw Star Wars in the theater when I was tiny and I, yeah. it's like the, my first memory of a movie experience. I saw Bambi, but I don't remember it, but I saw Star Wars and then, I remember seeing the previews for the Godfather 2 on TV and that it was uncut and that my parents were going to watch it. They were going to put me to bed early. And I <laughs> just knew that I wanted to see it. And I was tiny and I just lobbied my mom until she let me watch it. She let me watch the uncut Godfather. And I, to that, you know, from that day on, I was into good movies. You Did know? you understand what was going on? No, not necessarily. Okay. But I have to say, it informed me in a way that made me understand other things that I wouldn't have at the time. You know, like when you watch Warner Brothers cartoons and they do like uh, Cary Grant impressions and you go, I don't oh, know yeah. what that is. But then later you see Cary Grant and you go, that's what that is. Yeah, that's it, how I was it, with Peter Laurie. That was, yeah, they used him yes, a lot. Exactly. And Marx Brothers and things like that. So it stuck in my brain. And so later I retroactively understood it and I would go back and, and then I just, I just ate up those types of movies. Yeah. Uh, That's fascinating. And then James Bond. I, I was. I've always been a huge James Bond. Uh, yeah. Let's go with that. Okay. That sounds like fun. All right. What because James we, Bond? Because I am. Because you hate James Bond. I am um, notoriously not a James Bond. Yeah. We recently uh, for our there's what three seventy two. There's yes. some James Bond I hate. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Yeah. I don't universally love those movies, but for episode three hundred seventy, we profiled Sean Connery, the mm. career of Sean Connery, and so we talked a lot about James Bond, as I'm sure you can imagine. And uh, and it's something that has come up from time to time on the on the show. I'm not necessarily a huge James Bond fan, but you know, I, I'm of the opinion a good movie is a good movie. So yeah. I'm a big fan of Goldeneye. Yeah. I like Goldfinger, uh, From Russia with Love, mm-hmm. and then I didn't see Quantum of Solace, but I liked the new Casino Royale and, and Skyfall. And so, um, so I I like those movies, and I've seen more of them than than David has, but I don't necessarily love them. David has explained on the show before what you don't like about the character of James Bond. Yeah. Um, I explained it for the, two weeks ago. Yeah. But for the, uh, for the uh, purposes of our guest, uh, can you explain it again? It's, it's, it's not uh, cause I, I think I've, I've gotten a little bit past the age where I want to try and piss people off by saying, I don't like, I hate James Bond. You won't piss me off. Um, <laughs> it's really just, it's just a matter of taste. I think James Bond represents an ideal of masculinity that, does not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. That, that, that I don't relate to 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 that idea of what a man is, and I find it um, uh, almost cartoonish. Um, I think you're that. absolutely right. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I've never been one of those people that likes James Bond in the sense of like I want to be James Bond or uh-huh. live that lifestyle. Like a lot of people buy the watch and that sort of thing. And sure, yeah. I I think I like it. First of all, I, I dare say I like the worst James Bond movies the best because they go so – I only like them when they go so far to the cartoon side that it's uh-huh. just stupid. So what is that, Moonraker? Moonraker, Diamonds Are Forever, uh, Live and Let Die. Which is the one with uh, Yafet Koto? Live and Let Die. Okay, all right. And then I really, really, really like the Daniel Craig ones just because – 
they kind of get away from that. They give them a little bit more flaws and, and that sort of thing. Um, the Brosnan ones are the toughest for me because they kind of want it both ways. Like at least Roger Moore goes camp. Sean mm-hmm. Connery, get, you know, is is of that era and it's misogynistic and that sort of thing. It is what it is. But the the Brosnans, the, he wants to joke around, but also when he gets hurt, really have you feel it for him. And you yeah, know, and I think it's rough because I'm only I think I'm a few years younger than you, but just young enough that. Pierce Brosnan was my first James Bond. Yeah. Like that was my exposure to who James Bond yeah. was. So I find that that's universally usually the case that people have a, an attachment to the Bond of their era, which I do for Roger Moore, which uh-huh. uh, theoretically I shouldn't because they're not good. It stands to reason someone somewhere is a big fan of Timothy Dalton. Uh, and yeah. what, I, I think I've seen – he only died, I think, two or three. Two. Just two. two. Yeah. And I think I saw one of them um, – was he licensed to kill? Yeah. Okay. I think that's I saw Dobby. That one. That's Robert Dobby. Oh, all right. That, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I think I saw that one. I remember liking because those were those were actually very serious. Those yeah. went very much the the other way than the Roger Moore. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's very Fleming esque. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, do, let me ask you this: Do you have a favorite? Have you seen all of them? Oh yeah, M- millions. Of oh okay, times. all right. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite James Bond? Yeah, I I do. Uh, Daniel Craig. Okay. And Casino Royale is my favorite. Bond movie by a mile. It's I pretty just, great. It, it may be my favorite movie. Oh wow! Really? I, yeah. I, I don't know. Let me get back to you on that. But uh, and I, I mean, I really like some of the classic Bond movies, and I really don't like some of them. But I just love Casino Royale. Yeah, it's and it, and I think that was my first ex, uh, exposure to Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, yeah. Who is now on Hannibal, a movie, yeah. uh, a show that we both uh, love tremendously. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, and you, David, you got to see. I know that you're. You don't want to. But I haven't you seen any see of the right ones. Yeah, I didn't I, see I Quantum of Solace. I heard it wasn't that good. You know, I I go to bat for that film. It's not as good as Casino Royale by any means. But if you're going to watch it, watch it right on the heels of Casino Royale because it's like a, a not as good third chapter to them mm-hmm. movie, and it's better watched that way than just on its own because otherwise it's it's a mess. Did uh, you? Oh, okay. Sorry. Just just a bit of uh, thing. You mentioned License to Kill. Do you, how do you spell license in License to Kill? Well, yeah. I know how the movie spells it, and I know how you spell it in America. Yeah, two it's different things. It yeah. always looks weird, but it's yeah. right in English. Yeah, in, in England, in English England, to spell yeah. it L I C E N C E. No, S E is how the movie is, and how they spell it in England. And here we spell it with a C, right? No, it's the opposite. Amer- the American is S E. I'm almost entirely sure. I just looked it up. Yes, the American is S-E. This is the first I've heard that there is ever a... I've only ever thought of S-E. Because that's... In America, license with an S-E is both a noun and a verb. You have a license or you can license something. Oh, okay. Right? In England, from what I understand, C-E is the noun form. And S-E is only the verb form. So the name of the movie, if you look at posters, it's L-I-C-E-N-C-E. That's right. And it always looks weird to me. So I, but it's right. It just I, looks weird. I do this podcast with matt myra at nerdist called james bonding where we mm-hmm. we go through all the bond films and just today the license to kill episode came out mm. and i'm looking at that and i can't believe i had it backwards wow i don't like that can we can we have another revolutionary war because <laughs> i don't i don't like that uh, you know well the film was originally going to be called license revoked but the producers thought oh america won't know what that means <laughs> wow. uh i didn't know you did a james bonding yeah james bond podcast it's sort of a limited run one episode for every right. film and then we mm-hmm. have a guest on each time to talk about the film and 
have you ever heard of a blog called the suits of james bond yeah uh-huh. it's fantastic yeah. i'm not even a fan yeah. it's a fantastic blog yeah, yeah. yeah is it a fashion blog it's a menswear blog oh that sounds but like they fun. break down yeah in the craziest detail it's really great wearing yeah it's boy i wish i had more of a mind for that kind of thing it just i wonder though what kind of life is that guy <laughs> i mean i can't imagine his social relationships are of the highest order yeah <laughs> um yeah, especially because it's just like, oh, look how well, look how well he's dressing. I certainly can't afford it. No, but I can <laughs> if, live vicariously. If he's concerned with that much minutia, he can't. I mean, he can't be fun to be around. <laughs> like, or maybe he is. I don't know. That, you know what? That is maybe true. I mean, I don't mean to be a, a jerk about it, but it's like, you know, one thing that we have talked about on the show is like the difference. We basically just assigned definitions to the word nerd and the word geek. Uh-huh. That like nerds like really loves something and probably know a lot about it and can talk really in depth more than most people to the point that maybe they alienate people a little bit. But like, I feel like geeks really zero in and like they know the year, they know the entire cast list, they know the names of all the characters. And it's like, that's neat. I like that. They, they know a lot about the trivia, but they can't, they probably don't have a lot of insight about. Yeah. I think it's, it is more of like a rote memorization in some ways. And they're like, um, it's like I get obsessed about things. I'm obviously no ton about James Bond, and I'm not bragging mm. about it. I just <laughs> do. Yeah. But when people are militant about it, like, and they have to correct you and stuff like that, and it's just uh, after I just said that about the license. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like there's a defensiveness that comes attached to being a geek. Maybe that isn't. Yeah, I don't know if you ever read uh, one of my favorite authors is Neil Stevenson, who did uh, uh, Cryptonomicon and oh, no. uh, Snow Crash. And in Cryptonomicon, he writes about conversations between nerds wherein any declarative statement is taken as an assertion that you didn't already know the thing (laughs) that they said and therefore is like a opening like sort of (laughs) parry of a sort yeah every fact is a slap of the white glove yeah exactly that is spot on yeah where it's literally oh it's not even like oh this and the person goes i know Right. But, you know, in some ways, it's literally the new alpha male. So we don't really fight each other over women anymore, but we we fact check each other. Over, like, I don't think the women are sitting by going, there's my guy. But in their <laughs> minds, they're going, I'm best. I'm I'm um, like marking my territory. I'm showing my ass by giving these ridiculous knowledge based punches i don't know what it is but it's there's something to it like there is a nerd alpha thing that is like quickly overcoming the jock alpha thing at least in like entertainment and intellectual world i think it's probably not to get too socio-political but it probably along with the like decline of manufacturing in america has grown this nerdiness because it's not about that type of manliness anymore it's about yeah, yeah, the, and I the, think this thing with are... like wit and humor and just like being having a good rapport with people is a new way to assert your dominance or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's strange. But uh, there's also an emphasis, I think, on being uh, or some kind of a Renaissance mm-hmm. man. Like you're expected to know about a lot of different yeah, stuff yeah. now. And um, I always felt that pressure being like doing improv shows regularly. You have to be able to reference. And I have an like, incredibly broad field of reference, but no depth to most of the things. So I can I can reference Miley Cyrus, but I don't know or care anything about her. <laughs> but I've always felt like I have to have that in my arsenal. And there's just so much wasted space in my brain cluttered with these things that I don't need that but, I should really rethink that. And that's why I kind of respect people who are super geeky about 
this one thing because mm-hmm. I've never been able to do that. Like I will get, oh, really? I will geek out about something and I'll, it'll be my, the thing that I'm focused on for at most a month or two. And oh. like there was a time uh, around, around the time we started this podcast, I was lurking on a message board called, I think it was called cinematreasures.org. That's all about people who are uh, obsessively knowledgeable about old like movie theaters, like, Silent movie houses, and, oh, no. you know, both the ones that still exist and have been repurposed or that got turned down uh, or torn down, rather. Um, it's a fantastic website. I don't know if it still exists, but there was like two months of my life where I was reading that every day. And so I learned some stuff, but I don't have the commitment. I, I'm like a I'm like a I'm like a geeky butterfly. <laughs> like I'm flitting from one sort of obsession. But you don't have to that the for next. film. Uh, film is, I guess, the only thing that I've stuck with. Yeah, it seems um, like it. And I guess there are Except probably... you started to branch out into TV. Yeah. And so now you, I feel like it's probably 60-40 for you. Not that it has to. It can be 100% and 100%, but like, you know, like you yeah. speak a lot more. You speak passionately about movies, but like your level of passion for TV, I maybe it's because in the world of movies and movie nerds, TV is still viewed as less legitimate, and so maybe you feel the need to make a more impassioned I don't, I, defense I, of it. I don't know that. I, I wish it were. I feel like uh, we've talked about this when we had uh, we had Todd, Todd Vanderwerf from the AV Club on the show mm-hmm. a few months back, and we talked about how uh, I think a lot of movie nerds have sort of said, "Okay, TV is our thing now too," and talk <laughs> about TV as if now, oh, we've let it into the club, right? Almost. Yeah. And, so you're, like you're talking about the like golden the new renaissance of cable right. shows and yeah because yeah, that feels more cinematic than a lot of movies and i think it's are, great yeah. that people have that that tr- traditional film fans have embraced that but i also think there's a bit of a disrespect for the medium in that in they're saying like okay now tv is good enough and sort of <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, and, and and that's why shows like true, huh? uh, I, i'm repeating myself for longtime listeners but shows like the wire and game of thrones which i really enjoy always fall a little, little short for me because they feel like they're trying too hard to come across the way a movie does uh-huh. as opposed to, you know, my favorite TV show of all time is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> which told 22 individual stories every year yeah. that were a part of a larger story. But it was a, it was a method of storytelling that was specifically suited to yeah, television. Yeah, episodic storytelling too yeah. where now all the best shows are serialized completely. And yeah. Yeah. I, but I, oh, I you should watch in The Good Wife. I know I'm a little bit behind, but The Good Wife is one that still does that. It still has yeah. like a case of the week and that case will often sort of – uh, reflect metaphorically on what's going on in the characters' lives, which is something that Buffy did with its monsters every week. You know, that's the kind uh, of storytelling that I like and that you don't do in movies. Whereas Game of Thrones, as as much as it's can be enjoyable, although I'm kind of falling off the bandwagon these last couple weeks, uh, along with a lot of other people, actually, uh, it just feels like uh, every every week you're seeing another hour of the movie Game of Thrones, and you have to mm-hmm. wait a week for the next hour to come yeah, on. I, I totally see that. And, you know, I guess it makes sense that that style of television is going away because I think I, I said it. Oh, no, I said this uh, forever ago when I was on Paul Go Martin's podcast. But, like, when Law & Order gets canceled, that's when you know there's a sea change mm-hmm. in television because mm-hmm. that couldn't – that is literally case yeah. of the week. Yeah. And people are like, ah, we don't, we're not into that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, do, are there any uh, – TV shows that now since we've moved into that and we'll get back to movies I'm sure but are there any TV shows that you particularly respond to either well, now or, or one in the of my past? All favorite, all time favorites was Deadwood. Oh yeah, just 
couldn't get enough of that show and still to this day hold out hope that they'll somehow finish it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, I mean, the sets don't exist anymore. That that was the cause it was like a couple of years where they were still in storage. Yeah, I think yeah. is that right? Like, oh, yeah, they man, don't even exist anymore. Oh, build them like well, you know what? Now enough time has passed that they would have to build it into like a more developed city anyway. So yeah, yeah. Just if you're listening to me, Milch, get out there and build it. <laughs> um, God, what else? Let's see. So I have this this uh, thing where I I don't like you mentioned the Good Wife and. Uh-huh. Um, for a, a fault of mine is I won't watch network TV anymore. And I don't mean oh. that in a snobby way, but I, there was a time where like when lost was on and I watched all that and I felt like, I don't know if they were trying too hard to be cable, but couldn't enough and still had to satisfy too many people that I just became so disenchanted with it that I stopped watching it. And then I went back and watched Hannibal, which yeah. you guys are talking about. And it's still wasn't in like really yeah i know that's I not enough for you because at friday at 10 p.m they're getting away with crazy it. shit i know but to me i watched it i'm a couple weeks behind <laughs> and the I, last episode i watched they pulled the dead body out of a horse <laughs> and then there was a live bird the inside the dead body <laughs> um i think it's because and i love mads mickelson i think he's amazing in it but that main guy feels still too like there's too much of a gimmick attached to his uh, whatever his little disorder is where he sees things or something or maybe it's the production style like i felt like they had a brilliant idea and then someone some network guy came in and said i need you to gloss this up a little bit with the way he sees crimes and stuff like that and and i'm not i'm not saying i'm right like i i feel like i may be the exception because all my best friends love this movie have you read red dragon no uh -uh. because i mean the way he sees crimes that's that's kind of, I mean, I think Brian Fuller took some visual liberties with it, with like yeah. the sort of like the metronome sort of mm-hmm. visual effect that he does to make, to wipe the, you know, the oh, thing back it, in time. It looks amazing. But it does, yeah, it really does. But that that is in there. The one thing that is... It's the actor the, for me. The, the one liberty they took, and maybe this is the actor, um, and this is what, well, William Peterson played Will Graham in... Um, Manhunter. Manhunter. Yeah. And he played him in many ways more like the book where... In the book Red Dragon, Will Graham is an ex-cop and still very competent in this sort of like confidence. You know, uh, he he can store, he can walk into a room with his gun drawn and feel confident about that. And I feel like Hugh Dancy's Will Graham is a little bit more emo. And yeah. I I don't know if that's the actor, if that's the way yeah. Brian Fuller wanted to go, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, but it is it is a different take. I Whereas like William it, uh, William Peterson is I've been saying for years now that a guy who needs a Quentin Tarantino type like resurgence who needs his career yeah, resurgence. That's probably right. William Peterson needs to play <laughs> an evil motherfucker in a Quentin Tarantino movie. I would love it so much. When when Mads Mickelson is on screen and Hugh Dancy is his name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I can see Hugh Dancy acting a mile away and Mads Mickelson is just being and I I don't know, something about it didn't work for me. I was also watching it at the same time I was watching True Detective. Mm. I don't know how you guys felt about that. I've show. not seen it. True Detective was great. That show to me almost like it, it's probably up in my top ten or something. I ate it up. I loved it, and I think probably watched Hannibal at the wrong time because they're both kind of similar in that there's like a lot of antlers. There are a lot of antlers, <laughs> creepy crimes and stuff. And I felt like that thing was. I don't know that. I show think there really is a philosophical difference between the show, the shows though, because True Detective I, revealed itself to eventually be about the fight of good in the world versus evil in the world and and this sort of hopeful thing. Whereas I think Hannibal in a way that sounds defeatist or fatalist is more about 
coming to terms with the evil of the world, mm-hmm. but not necessarily about good winning. I you, should you know also I mean? mention that I only watched an episode and a half. Of Hannibal? <laughs> yes. Okay, well, you missed, you're missed. you missing out on some crazy shit that will make I'm you, like, sure. cover your mouth. and. Uh, I'll, I feel the same way about, um, like, network TV, or at least I, I used to, where it just feels like, okay, you're trying to be... It's one of the things that got me early on about The Shield. It's like, oh, you so desperately wish you were on HBO. But then they kind of found their footing. It's how I feel about Sons of Anarchy, and it's kind of dumb. But um, <laughs> Sons of Anarchy is real it's dumb. dumb. But, uh, but Hannibal, I feel like they finally kind of found their footing. But I have a question for you, because I, you mentioned the, for lack of a better term, twitchiness of a Hugh Dancy. And I kind of agree with you, which is one of the things that I like, which is why I like what they're doing with the second season, where his mm. character is getting more confident oh, and is kind of help, yeah. kind of less doing less of that. But um, so you know, you have acting experience, you you have you know improvisational experience, and you also mentioned the idea of having to have all these references at the ready, like the nature of. Well, I'm not going to lecture you on the nature of improvisational acting, Please. but um, <laughs> I, I might be able. But to use the uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know or not, but I was in a I was in a play once and that required absolutely no improvising. But I, you know, I, I, I feel like I can speak extemporaneously about it. Pretty sure you played Freeze in Drama Club at some point. <laughs> it was Drama Club. How could you not play it a billion times a year? But um, the uh, I've lost my train of thought. Got it. Um, but that's the thing. And so the nature of improvisational acting, like you have to be on your toes all the time. Do you feel like? That has made you. That has enabled you to see when an actor is actively doing something. Yeah, and I don't. I don't at all mean to say like, oh, I'm an improviser, or an actor, or an acting teacher. I can tell who's a good actor and who's not a right. good actor. But it's you are totally saying subjective. you would make a better Will Graham than Hugh Dancy. No. That's what you're saying. No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I think there are. I notice this in my classes. There are people who are so technically proficient. They're amazing. There are people who are instinctually proficient they're amazing and i always feel like the 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 mix of the two is the best especially for improv Mm because you've got the intellectual side where you know what to do what's best for the scene but you've got a spontaneous gut thing going on that will throw something into the mix that you don't count on and i never feel like hugh dancy is surprising himself in any way he's acting like he i don't know how to explain it i never said i was a good teacher (laughs) Uh, i just i just feel like I can see him thinking about what he's doing where the other ones are just doing it. Mm. If that, and that's how I feel about Brosnan in the Bond films. Interesting. I feel like he's thinking, do this, do this, do this. And maybe someone like Mads Mikkelsen is just going, I am this, you know. Not methody or anything, it, but you know, just, just, just ride in the character. Where yeah. Hannib- of- Hannibal is my favorite show on TV right now, but I'm having trouble arguing against that. But having recently reread or read for the first time, sorry, uh, Red Dragon and thinking about what Will Graham is like there and how Hugh Dancy's not doing that. Interesting. Because what, uh, I mean, Will, again, to some of it is also book, just the, that general conception of the character. Yeah. It's different than in the book but, and in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing that I like about the book that I wish was more of in the movie is that Will Graham takes on the characteristics of who's, whoever, he's, whoever he's having a conversation with, mm. which is really fascinating in the book, oh, wow. but doesn't really happen on the show because he's, again, so yeah, inside, he's his, he's inside his own head. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because everything that you just described, uh, I've said this on, on the show before, but it's been a while since I've said it. Uh, it, is when, it is maybe one of my most controversial opinions. It's why I prefer Jack Nicholson's Joker to Heath Ledger's. 
I feel like the nature of the Joker is that he is pure instinct. He just we all have instincts to do like terrible things. Like, I mean, I want to punch David right now, uh, but I can't because it's immoral and the podcast would end. May, right? Just this episode. Okay, fair. You know what? Listeners right. should know that he's actually punching him. He's acting like he's not. Theater of the mind. Um, but uh, so, we, you know, we all have these things we want to do, but we don't do it. And the Joker just takes you just take that away and you have the Joker. So I feel like Jack Nicholson, who is kind of an actor who is able to do that anyway. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like his character, everything just flows out of natural instinct. Whereas I could see, I enjoyed Heath I Ledger's performance, yeah. but I could see every choice. Like yeah. when he does yeah. his weird little tongue thing, yeah. I could see Heath Ledger being like, now would be a good time to do the creepy tongue thing. Yeah, I've heard people say, and I, I could see this, that like, well, the the way the character is written, it seems like the character is making that choice because he there's a theatricality to him as well. Uh, I think you shouldn't have to do that work for a for a performance. <laughs> you, you, sh- yeah. you shouldn't have to say. I think the character is doing this thing that the actors do. I'm with yeah. you on that. So, I liked his performance. I could see where he's um, very consciously doing those things, but has moments where his his um, his acting takes over and like gets into it like i felt like he kind of went back and forth with that yeah but uh, part of it is the problem of the movies he's in and i know i'm an again a minority here but i the thing my problem with christopher nolan's batman movies is that he's trying to make this down-to-earth more gritty realistic thing but it's still about batman (laughs) and these villains it's still kind of silly this guy dresses up as a bat yeah let's not forget so the movies and all the actors most in that third one Mm -hmm. yeah which i is was really I went back and watched it a second time, and I also really that. fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> now you were about to make a, a point uh, oh, and I about about how right I was. Basically, I, I think here's why: because <laughs> let's see, Nicholson always plays Nicholson for the most part, but as the Joker, he he feels more comfortable because he's just being Nicholson, and that's mm-hmm. what you want with a Joker is because he's all. Um, id i guess right and yeah so you won't regardless of who he is you want to believe he is who he is and so maybe heath ledger is technically doing a bit better more interesting performance like i mean that in quotes mm-hmm. but nicholson is is more real about it and so that probably wins over trickery that's what I think, but uh, I don't know. when I say that, man, people get mad at me. Um, oh, I could, I, and yeah, not, I could see where that's huge blasphemy in today's yeah. internet world. And I have never learned uh, the furor of movie fans until I did a James Bond podcast. And oh, I'm sure. In fact, <laughs> had had a bad thing to say about Brosnan, who I think is a seems like a great person, and I like a lot of his other work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, if I if I taken some flack for that, and well, let's. Yeah. I know we have to wrap up soon because okay. Tyler has, a, like, we've had a hard out. But as far as uh, speaking of tempting internet rage, I want to talk about Star Wars real quick. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I want to talk about the new Star Wars casting news. I want yeah. us three, please. I want we three men okay. to talk about in the entire new cast that was announced, there was only one female yeah. role. Yeah. And uh, I sadly that, had not heard of her. I know that she's from something, yeah, but she must be from a thing I don't know about. Yeah. Um, but that, I don't think, I, you know, I. I joke like we're three men, but I don't think that should stop us from being annoyed by that. That there's, no. uh, in fact, I think maybe as men, in some ways, we maybe have a responsibility to make it known that that's annoying to us because the reason the studios are not casting women in these kind of movies is because they think that we, the male audience for these movies, 
don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. They must think that, right? It's a business decision. David, chicks are so, boring. <laughs> so that's, that's what they think we think. So I think uh, that's why I'm, I'm saying I have a, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I feel like I have a responsibility as a male movie fan with a something of a bully pulpit to say it's fucking annoying and insulting and i would like to see more women in the star wars movies matt your thoughts anything i'm with you 100 percent and more uh i my only hope is that this girl is the main character honestly i mean that because i think those original star wars movies leia is a kick-ass character Mm -hmm. and i I would hope that it seems like they really want to be true to the original trilogy and that they would write a strong feminine character for her and we, I was talking about this with my superego guys the other night, uh, trying to imagine what the roles of the original three guys are going to be, you know, Leia, Han, and Luke. And I was trying to think, like, how much will Leia have cultivated the Force at this point? Because uh-huh. at the end of Jedi, she's like, oh, really? I'm a Jedi? Okay, whatever. But <laughs> then it started to occur to me, like, what if she's, you know, she's got a cloak on at some point and she just does some kind of amazing badass force bubble push in some battle sequence. And then I started to finally get excited about these movies. You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, what's that, the Bechdel test about feminism in movies? Mm -hmm. If there's some scene between this new girl and Leia and maybe there's this relationship where instead of Kenobi fostering Luke, it's Leia fostering this young female Jedi, that makes me excited about this movie. Yeah. Abrams, and I know you're listening, make it happen. (laughs) But, and and is there, is the deal, what did I read? Like, there's more casting to come and was that like damage control saying like, well, don't worry, we've got more women in this or something. Yeah, or maybe they're scrambling to write this more roles or something. But it would be nice to see. I'm, I'm, and and it's annoying because, completely, I keep using the word annoying, but it's more than that. It's kind of infuriating. But like, the Hunger Games movies, massively successful. Mm -hmm. But every time there's a movie with female leads that's massively successful, the press starts writing stories, little think pieces about now Hollywood will learn the lesson. But Hollywood, the producers are the, not the producers, the executives, whatever. I think they think of each one as a fluke. They can't get it through their head that women are 51% of the audience. And also, we men are not, we're not James Bond. We're not our fathers. Like, exactly. We're yeah. okay. Well, like, I don't, I, I don't sit there watching the Hunger Games thinking, like, I wish this were a dude or anything. I love the Hunger Games movies. Yeah, I was, I'm was. i 40 year old man. I went to see both those Hunger Games movies. <laughs> yeah, and I, okay, so I think, David, I think you're overestimating the audience, uh, which is not a thing I like to say. I don't like to be shitty about but no, people. Th- uh, no, but like, a, look at the numbers for Hunger Games. Okay. Hugely successful movie. No, I it's, agree with that. No, that, if, that, if that, Star Wars does those kind of numbers, it will be a success. And also, what a great vehicle to put. Final, like put a heroine in as the lead because Star Wars you have a built in fan base regardless yeah. Yeah. so you're yeah. not going to lose you can't right. lose I mean if the movie's shit it's going to be shit but it ain't going to be yeah. because you made it a female and, the, and although they, they might blame it on that and therein lay why I okay well, then, I don't then like, let the war begin yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously like then let's let's draw a line in the sand and say no that's not it you if know? they if they were to do what you're talking about where it's it's I don't remember the name of, of the the new actress, but her yeah, and, and Carrie, Daisy Carrie Fisher. Like, yeah. if it was the if they're kind of the only women, but it's about that relationship first and foremost. I'm kind of okay with them being the only women yeah. in the cast because then it really emphasizes that relationship. Right. Um, but at the same time, I do think okay. I don't like to. I'll make fun of studios all day long because I like to blame them for society's ills. But uh, when it comes to like blaming the audience, I don't like to do it unless I genuinely feel it. And when it comes to when it comes to n- nerds and geeks, uh, of which I can be one, um, I I do feel like 
there's this instinct of like, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, hang on now. Like, I need to – because there is – especially in movies like superhero movies or spy movies or, or fantasy films, I think there's a certain degree of replacement and uh, like I want to be able to live through – vicariously through this character. And if this character is not the same gender as me, how do I do such a thing? And so – and I do think that maybe not with Hunger Games but by and large stuff like Star Wars and maybe even uh, like the Avengers films, the – audience is primarily male and a certain type of male that maybe dis- is going to see this for a very specific reason and that would run counter to it and lest i not condemn myself uh-huh. uh i'm a big fan of the riddler as people know um and so there was uh so i tend to follow fantasy casting stuff online like hey you know they should do this and i remember one one thing said oh you know what they should do when with this show gotham they should cast the riddler as a woman and my first thought was like what riddler okay first off riddler's ego dictates that he is a man but also like i disagree with that oh boy like uh, just you don't know any egotistical women not to that extent Oh, that's that's crazy. We know different women, I guess. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, you, you work in the you you work kind of in the industry, so that's just got <laughs> egos all over the place. But um, but yeah, and so but that's the thing. I had this instinct of like because I relate to the Riddler a lot, and of course I could still relate to the character whether it's a woman, a man, or a woman. But yeah. I, I I myself even had a knee jerk. Yeah, I was able to get away from that, but I had that knee jerk instinct, and I feel like that's what could happen. And that's the thing. I'm not defending the studios, but I see I could see them oh, thinking think in those terms. It's clear that they think in those terms. And it's interesting, too, that the successful movies with feminine protagonists like Hunger Games ha- come from a previously established book that sold millions so that they know they right. aren't taking right. a risk. It would be nice to see a, a, an original franchise or something like Star Wars do it. Yeah. You know? Well, there was yeah. Alien. But that means, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I feel, that's why and I feel the like... Alien franchise, just right. in general. And that's, I almost want to feel like things have gotten worse. Uh, yeah, you know? really. Uh, anyway, huh. I wanted to talk about that because that was on my mind this week. Um, uh, we do need to wrap up. Yes. Because... I, li- I like to ask. I know you have to go. So okay. I want to ask uh, any favorite movies. I always feel like I'm putting the guest on the spot, but I always like to ask guests. Any favorite movies you think not enough people have seen? Any movies you like to champion? Oh, boy. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. See, this is why I always I always yeah. want the answer. I should have given you a heads like, up about that question. No, Sorry. I, I always God. feel like it, it 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 takes people well, off guard. One of my favorite movies is The Party with Peter Sellers. Sure. Have you guys ever seen that movie? And I've I don't not. Know actually, how many people have seen that? And it's it's like uh, in the era of like a post office era, not like the post office, but the office <laughs> post. Um, it might not be that impressive, but at the time it was improvised and it's got a lot of that expressionistic uncomfortable humor but in a really sweet way and it's got some racism in it too but for its time i just love that movie um smoking the bandit i yeah. love hooper um uh, yeah. isn't it weird like when yeah. movies that are from a certain era that are like perfectly good movies and then something like like horribly like like i love uh with nail and i but there's the part at the end when they come back to his apartment and there's like the big black guy that he doesn't know in his uh apartment i can't remember what exactly he says but it's like it's like that's a little not cool whatever he's saying yeah any older movie is gonna have some little cringy moment Um, yeah what else what else that i that i love uh i feel like there's a million because i have so many little crazy movies that i love um 
Well, it's not, it's, you know, it's, oh. not a, it's not the SATs. Still, I just wanted to know oh, if there's anything <laughs> that you wanted to... Anyway, okay. uh, so you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. You can email us at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ThePretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at MoreThanOneLesson.com. My other podcast is at a, the uh, television podcast, Hey, Watch This, with Paul and David. I do that with the King of TV, King of TV, Paul Goebel. This week we'll be talking about the Big Bang Theory and the Americans. Um, so that's where you can find us. Where can people find you, Matt, on the internet? Oh, boy. Let's see. I'm on Twitter at Matt Gorley, M-A-T-T-G-O-U-R-L-A-Y. Uh, go superego.com, and that's on iTunes. You can just search Superego and then James Bonding um, podcast as well. And that's it, I think. All right. And even though you guys have uh, have wrapped it up for the time being and possibly forever, the Andy Daly Podcast Pilot Project. um, I think there's a good chance we might might come back. Oh, good. In the future sometime. Um, Because I know, you know, reviews going well. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. I should, of course, mention, yeah, listen to the Andy Daly Podcast. Yeah. It's brilliant. And I wanted to talk about that, but unfortunately, uh, we've run out of time. But what I will say is that it's it's a really wonderful show. And I mean, it is, you know long form improv which yeah. is like so hard to do but so delightful to listen to and uh, and I cannot recommend it highly enough I I don't really listen to a lot of comedy podcasts these days I go through I, I go through uh kind of seasons where it's like okay I need to I'm going to take a break for a while uh but that's one that kind of brought me back and I was like oh man this is pretty damn great and it's only so, 8 episodes anyway so yeah. you know so yeah. I I really recommend it. I think uh, you guys do great work on there. Thank you. And so um yeah, so thank you so much, Matt, for being here. It's it was a, a pleasure. Lot of fun. Thanks for having me, guys. So, yeah, I hope yeah. we can do it again. Yeah, anytime. All right. Thanks for home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. 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 This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.